0: Hey everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Identity Architects. This podcast is dedicated to spotlighting individuals who have pioneered the way that data and identity is used to improve customer experiences. Over the coming months, we'll be speaking to individuals from multiple industries, media, gaming, financial services, healthcare, and more. My name is Ben Chicchetti, and I'm the Marketing Director at Infosum. And for this episode, our VP of Sales, Stuart Coleman, had the chance to chat with David Amadio about his role at Channel 4. During this conversation, they talked about the latest news, how they see the media industry evolving in the coming months and years, as well as talking about Channel 4's brand new solution that enables the creation of custom audiences across all four. Before we dive into that conversation, I'd be a terrible host if I didn't encourage you to hit that subscribe button wherever you enjoy podcasts to know when the next episode of Identity Architects drops. But... Without further delay, let's jump into the conversation between Stuart and David.
1: Hi everybody and welcome to the Identity Architects podcast. Really, really pleased to be joined by David from Channel 4. Um, I've known David for some time and really looking forward to speaking to him and hearing more about his kind of life in the world of identity. Um, David, it'd be great if you can start by giving us a quick intro to you. Um, what you do um, at Channel 4 and and kind of your history a little bit, if that's okay.
2: Yeah, hi, Stu. Thanks for having me on. Uh, really excited to be here. Um, Yeah, so I'm David. I'm a DO. I'm the Deputy Head of Digital and Innovation at Channel 4. Um, For anyone who doesn't know Channel 4, uh, we're a UK broadcaster. Um, We're government-owned, but we're we're 100% ad-funded. And for the last six or seven years, I've, I've been responsible for Channel 4's digital business and our innovation strategy. So that means that I'm essentially tasked with monetizing our, our, um, our video on demand business, which is which is called all four. Um, and that involves uh, delivering our, our commercial data strategy, our programmatic offering, and also our, um, our, our creative digital suite of products as well.
1: Brilliant. And so it's really great to have you here today. Um, looking forward to the conversation. We're going to try and cover a whole bunch of different things. There's a lot going on in the identity space right now. And I'm really looking forward to your kind of thoughts and and insights. But in terms of kind of a good place to start, um, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the news. Um, obviously, uh, the news is dominated by some of the changing uh, kind of privacy landscape and some of the approaches and um, the role of identity and, and what kind of different uh, solutions are going to be available and ways of working, etc. So um, any kind of thoughts or, or feelings or, or opinions on what you're hearing right now?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, I think every industry seems to be entering into the unknown at the moment. But I think that the, the digital and media industry is, is certainly no different. But because of the the uh, the news around privacy and data usage, um I think it's it's particularly unknown times for, for us all. So um I think it's important to to yeah to to I suppose have a look at how we got here in the first place and how we got to this point. And I think it sort of stems really from a, a bit of a lack of trust from from consumers and quite a poor user experience on, on, on certain platforms particularly so you know mobile and desktop and that that's that's led to it's led to the need for legislative change and GDPR back whenever it was 2018 I think um but that's also meant that the, the tech companies and, and the um you know the advertisers and the publishers and they're having to win themselves off of a of, of third-party cookies. so um yeah there's, there's 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 a need for this change it's happening for a reason and and um yeah, what will happen is, is, is the big talking point, I suppose. Yeah, and, and I, I guess within that, you know,
1: um, how we kind of got here, uh, I guess you're suggesting that it's kind of our own fault. Is that—is that a fair way of putting it? No, we, we kind of relied too much on ways of working on practices that perhaps um, weren't right and we've just kind of ran with it for as long as we can. You know, is it fair to say it's our fault or do you think there's some kind of other factors at play? Um,
2: well, I think I think... I mean, it's it, it's it's become what it's become um, because it's possible, and um, and and now I think there has been a bit of trust, as I mentioned, lost from consumers. So there's a, you know there's a, there's a need to tidy things up, I think, and there's a need to evolve and change. Um, I, I personally think that um, what is happening is is actually a really positive thing for for consumers and for publishers in the long run. Um, I think over the next sort of you know one to two years we're going to see publishers really have to focus on getting users logged into their platforms and and that that means they're going to have to up their game they're going to have to um focus on producing better content because there needs to be that value exchange i don't think unless you've got that value exchange people aren't going to necessarily you know log in log into your platform so I, i think that's a positive thing in the long run but is um is causing quite a quite a stir obviously for for this adjustment period
1: yeah some fairly fundamental change you know, I, I completely agree with you i think the trust thing is is um is a really key point and we we haven't we've either lost that trust or perhaps haven't haven't worked hard enough to gain that trust and it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out and we're going to talk a little bit as we move through about uh, kind of channel 4's approach to how it talks to its consumers and how it, it kind of messages um uh, some of the wording and some of the, the the ways it talks about data usage. We'll, we'll get to that, but be, you know, I think Channel 4 is probably a good example of, of where they're working really hard to build trust, but like, like I say, we'll kind of get to that. In terms of kind of the, the, you know, the world as it is today and, and the news that we're seeing around, you know, whether it's um, Apple ATT, whether it's flock from Google, et cetera, what, what are some, kind of some of the approaches that you're seeing and, um, and hearing about and, and kind of leaning into um,
2: in the market at the moment? Yeah, but there's, there's, obviously, there's obviously a number of different approaches that that we're seeing. Um there are I think they they kind of fall into two two camps. Um so there's the the data sharing route if you like or there's the data matching route. Um so there are essentially the, the universal ID solutions that are in that are in play. So you know where you take an ID and, and, it, and it's created and then you use that to track users across um, the different publishers. Um, there's lots of different variations of that. Um, you know, from from different uh, from different vendors. Um, I think this this solution suits a lot of advertisers, it suits a lot of publishers, or some publishers at least. But I personally think that um, I'm not sure it is necessarily the best thing for consumers in, in the long run because it essentially recreates the same problem in a slightly different way. Um, the second approach is obviously the, the the clean room approach, whereby publishers match their data. With advertised data in a, in a clean, safe, and compliant manner, um, and for me, this this provides a much cleaner alternative because because there's no data that's that's you know that's being passed from one side to the other. There's there's no risk of leak there. So um, that's that's the route that we've gone down. Yeah, and and, and, and that
1: makes sense. And clearly, I'm a I'm a fan of that that approach. But, but kind of broadly, you now we're starting to see in the press. Um, some kind of different uh, views and opinions on whether, say, things like flocks so or that kind of cohort model um, is a good idea or not. And you've got you've got the Guardian coming out this week and uh, and saying that they probably aren't going to engage with it. You've got New York Times saying they definitely are and they're going to run some trials on it. Do you think? Um, do you think publishers? Do you think the driving kind of factor for publishers there is is about protecting revenue and protecting? Um, uh, kind of the status quo, or do you think they're they're genuinely trying to kind of create the right solution? You talk, say you talked about trust and trust being the most important thing. Do you think th- these solutions are aimed at creating better trust, or are they just about finding
2: kind of workarounds and and um, alternatives? Um, I think it's pro- I think it's probably more the latter. Um, initially, I think that a lot of publishers don't necessarily have currently don't have the luxury of lots and lots of first party logged in. Viewers. so you know you can un- you can understand why there'll be certain solutions on the table that that provide an alternative to third-party cookies and 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 that still ring fences you know revenue and, and the ability to, to to track users across the internet from one publisher to the to the other um I think long I think long term as I said I, I I do feel that we are just recreating the same issue but in, in, in a different in a different guise so I think we've got to be really careful of that.
1: We're very good at that as an in a, as an industry, aren't we? It's a strong suit of
2: <laughs> Yeah, and I think yeah, I think you know when there's when there's legislative change, I think rather than find, finding a loophole in it, it's better to to look at what led you to that change in the first place and actually try and evolve and and, and you know make things better for for the long term. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So in that kind of that world, and,
1: and obviously Channel Four, um, you've done a really um, great job of building um, a really strong logged in audience, authenticated audience that puts you in a really kind of great position to, to address some of these challenges moving forward. And, um, and I imagine it's really exciting times for you, but kind of stepping out of that world for a little bit and just looking more broadly at, at the role of media owners in this world where you know, there there's pressures on all sides, whether it's regulatory, whether it's to do with um, you know, the solutions that the likes of Google are bringing to, to, to bear, whether it's the changes that Apple are enforcing. From a media owner point of view, if you are in perhaps a slightly less uh, fortunate position of having less kind of authenticated audiences, what are kind of the critical things that you, as a media owner, would would, would you want to focus on?
2: Which things do you think really matter for media owners right now? Um, I, I think producing better content and making making your content stickier and you know more attractive is is, is, is the most important thing. I think um, what's become really clear is that we need you know as as a media owner you need to appeal to um to consumers and make make your environment as attractive as it can be um so that they do ideally log into your environment and and you can then you can attract them you know within your environment but i think where where there's a reliance on on just tracking users across the internet i think that's 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 now a challenge
1: yeah that makes sense, and that is a wholesale wholesale shift for uh, for many in kind of the way that they think, isn't it? So that's going to be, I think, really interesting to see over the next kind of 12, 18 months how that plays out and and uh, who succeeds and who finds it more challenging. So um, yeah, definitely going to be interesting. Um, obviously, we talked earlier about trust and, and hearing you talk about creating better environments, better content, etc. It leads to kind of building trust and bu- building that kind of value exchange. So how does Channel Four go about kind of communicating and messaging to? Uh, to its consumers to its to its logged in members around data around the use of data around the practices that you you
2: kind of adopt yeah so mean we we we've, we've been asking users to, to log in for for a while now about about 10 years ago we first we first started that process um, and we made it mandatory in 2015 i think it was um and we're really clear about why we ask users to to log in um and we, we have a, a, a viewer promise that we made to them. We, we produce collateral videos and, and um, make sure that they have access to these so they understand why we're asking them to do this. And the reason that we ask them to do this is quite a simple one. It's is to make their viewing experience more seamless and, and more relevant for them. So both in terms of the editorial content that we, that we serve them um, and also the ads that we serve them as well. So when we ask people to log in, we ask them for five pieces of information. We ask them for their name, email. Um, their age, gender, and location. And that, that allows us to have a single view of that user, regardless of the device or, or platform um, they're on. So that gives them lots of functions that they wouldn't otherwise have if, if they weren't logged in. Um, and in addition to that, we know we know what they're watching, we know how they're watching it, and we know where they're watching it. And that, that lets us um, make recommendations to them in terms of content. It also allows us to to build more effective forms of ad targeting, which which makes their advertising experience more relevant as well. So th- these are all these are all aimed at you know being genuine benefits to to the to the viewer, making their view experience better. Yeah, and and you
1: know I, I've seen some of your your kind of messaging as a as a channel for a subscriber myself. So, um, you know, it is, it's it is positioned and, and uh, produced in a way that's really clear and really accessible. And I think that's you know, that's that's great. And, and all power to you for doing it. And how, how important do you think that that type of communication is going to be moving forward for for you know, kind of the broader ecosystem? It's quite hard to to talk about data and privacy to to the general population, but it is important to do it. Do you think media owners have to improve the way they do that generally? I mean, perhaps talk to some of your experiences on sites other than your own. How do you feel that that message is put across? And do you think that there is room for evolution there? Yeah, yeah. In short,
2: absolutely. I think that um, consumers... You know, need to be talked to in in just normal language is, is the first thing that we that we learn, um, yeah. rather than gobbledygook. And and I think hiding you know hiding that information and that that message um, in a dark place on your website is is also not what you want to do. You want to be really transparent and open with with consumers because you know going back to why we got it in the first place, it's, it's all about trust. So you know we've we've used um, we've used talent to do it. So when we first um, we first produced a, a kind of viewer promise. We got Alan Carter to, to um, communicate with our, our viewers in quite a sort of comedic, but, but in, in just layman's terms. And then more recently, we've, we've used Simon Bird from, uh, from from the Inbetweeners to, to narrate. Uh, you know, again, just being really simplistic and, and letting people know why we why we need their information and their data and what we're doing with that data, um, and just making sure that you know they're, they're, they're served that. And it's there and it's available. So I think other other publishers probably need to do more of that. Um, it's something that we've 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 kind of led the way at, in, in the broadcaster um, world. But I think it's you know it, even even we can improve on that still. I think um, and make it um, meet even more of a kind of overt message to consumers.
1: Yeah, and and um, I guess there's also an argument there to say that if, if we all get better at it, then the cumulative effect of of us all talking to our consumers better probably helps us all. Uh, anyway you know if if you're hearing a, a positive and, and proactive message on one property that can translate to an understanding on another property so it's probably in the industry's entire interest to kind of work um work fairly collaboratively on this but uh, that's probably quite difficult to achieve but perhaps a nice idea nice ideal
2: yeah but I think you know i think we we we're always open to you know speak to other publishers sharing our experiences sharing our learnings Because um, because think you're right i think that, you know there is there is a general there is a general need for um The industry to build that trust with with consumers again. I think you I think you're right. You do do that through sharing best practice. I think.
1: Yeah, definitely, 100% agree with that. And um, just tying back to the kind of the previous points we were making around what's going on in the industry. Do you think that um, if we can improve on some of the ways of of communicating, talking, and and informing consumers, that some of the approaches that that we're seeing in kind of reaction to the way to work and perhaps um, either um, aren't quite aren't needed quite as much as they perhaps seem to be needed right now or um, actually perhaps can succeed more if we're if we're better at communication and do you think that kind of messaging will actually reshape or potentially reshape the industry
2: In, in terms of in terms of the approaches that
1: yeah you know yeah all the solutions all the ids all the all the different approaches you know do you think that that um communication better communication really underpins everything in that respect in terms of improving it
2: all yeah, I do, I do because I think that um, I think publishers need need to have more of a dialogue with their with their you know viewers or readers or um, consumers, and I think by by having that that two way conversation, I think certain um, certain solutions that are on the table might suddenly feel um, like they're not the right solution. So I think having that that kind of constant dialogue and asking asking consumers if if the way you're speaking to them is is understood and is you know is, is landing is, is is a positive thing and yeah maybe maybe that will ev- maybe that will lead to the evolution of those solutions and we might not we might not think that, that some of the solutions that are on the table actually fit for purpose in the future
1: yeah time will tell um so uh, one thing is guaranteed for the next uh, next period of time is a lot of change i, I expect yeah Everywhere. Um, good um so obviously we talked about, we talked about um, the fact that Channel 4 has a really great position because you are able to get people to um, to kind of log into your environment and you, you build great trust with them and great communication. That's that's really positive. But you, you've got this kind of great position. How does that kind of transpose into what you then do with it? And I, I know recently obviously you launched the, um, the Brand Match product as kind of a, a way to, to power marketing across the entire Channel 4 audience. Can you just kind of give us an insight into that product Um Kind of why you launched it, and and why you know, why it's kind of unique, and why you think that that's kind of the future for um, kind of Channel 4's approach to um, to the
2: value it can create in market. Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, we the, the motives behind that are um, we we knew we had to up our game in terms of data enablement. Um, historically, we've we've ha- always had a data science team. Not always had, but we had a data science team who've, who've been fantastic in in building. Um, different targeting solutions. So they, they essentially make sense of all the data we have. Um, and historically we've, we've, we've delivered kind of three targeting products. So contextual, which is what people are watching, comedy, drama, etc., cetera. Demographic, um, so who people are, male, female, age, etc. And then we also had interest categories as well. So we, we used a panel to, to survey people and then build interest segments such as fashion or tech, um, which we then use lookalike modeling to, to scale those out. Um, but we knew that that wasn't enough. So that, that led us to want to launch um, the data enabling enablement to, to really start to compete with the, with the tech giants. And um, Brand Match is kind of the hero product of a, of a set of three new products. Um, and that for the first time enables advertisers to, to use their own CRM data to identify and match their customers with our 24 million registered users. There, there are two kind of fundamental use cases. The first is to target known customers. So, for example, it could be the entire customer base um, or it could be a subset of that. So it might be high-value customers or maps customers or, or perhaps um, those who are likely to um, be ending, you know, nearing the end of the contract or something like that. The second use case is to suppress audiences. So um, to target everyone except customers um, to, to, to build new, new customers for advertisers. Um, and it's the way that this works that's that's been most attractive to the market. Um, I mean, you're probably better at talking about that bit than, than me, but <laughs> because you, you, you're tech it. <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I hope <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, I can happily I can happily give you kind of our, our version of, um, of of how the ecosystem works. But that that's been the real. I suppose attraction from, from us as a publisher but also to, to, from advertisers in terms of how that how that match process works
1: yeah and and how has the response been I mean you know, we, we've seen some um, some results recently of, of some of the work you've been doing with some brands and that looks really positive but generally how have kind of brands reacted to um, both the, the, the product and the and the, the potential that it offers but also the solution that underpins it
2: yeah it's, it it's, it's, it's been it's been it exceptionally received by the market i mean it's, it's the first time that um this has really been enabled in the tv world in, in this manner so it's, it's landed really well um with advertisers um we've we've seen some incredible results as well so we've um we conducted um quite a lot of research with um with the launch partners um, that we had aboard. board so we've we've seen a, a a number of different categories engaged. so anything from sort of supermarkets through to banking, e-commerce, fast food, home improvement, lots, lots and lots of different categories have been um, have been using the product. Um, and I think the, the the fact that we kicked it off with um, with a big piece of insight really helped to hook other other advertisers in. So we, we worked with um, with MCM, who, who um, I'm sure some of the listeners might be familiar with, um, and they they conducted a number of brand uplift studies. Um, which which had fantastic results. We saw sales um, scores shift by over 50%. Um, we saw consideration scores shift by over 30% when compared to kind of just standard standard targeting um, segments. And um, and more recently, we're testing attribution as well. So that that's a massive draw to to advertisers who who are who are looking for more direct response campaigns as well. So so I think all of those all of those things are, are really acting as hooks for. For advertisers and, and and the way that um, the way that the process has been streamlined has helped as well because we're trying to make this and, and you guys have been brilliant at this as well. We're, we're trying to make this as simple as possible for advertisers. So it's not a long drawn out process to, to to match data and you know go through compliance and that side of things as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's always a fun process. But it's um it's it's been a good journey so far by the sounds of it, which is great. I mean, and generally. Um, now, hearing you talk about it, and and obviously knowing about it um, from a uh, relationship with you, it just seems a really great way of working. You know, leveraging and and being able to utilise knowledge that you have on your customers uh, to create really positive experiences across media owners um, with those brands, but doing it in this kind of privacy safe um, kind of non movement of data way, it, it just sounds uh, really logical, and I'm I'm not surprised that the brands have engaged with it. Um, it's really from our side, really exciting to see that it also delivers great results. You know, we, we we're always confident that, that it would, but hearing you talk about that and, and knowing that it actually provides you know, really great value for, for the brands and for you um using it is, is great to hear. So you know thank you for sharing.
2: No pleasure. I mean and we're you know we're really trying to build a kind of body of case studies now as well. So you know the ambition is to have you know case studies across all the different categories so that um so the advertisers can see those and, and you know hear hear from the, the advertisers themselves rather than rather than us.
1: Yeah, good. Um, so I have to confess, I am slightly jealous because I've always been a big fan of TV advertising. I think it's a great medium, and um, I always enjoyed, particularly kind of the '80s and '90s storytelling that you did with ads. So that's a kind of a, a, a thing that uh, I love, and, and therefore slightly jealous of you. But um, it was okay. I wanted to fire, ask you a few quick kind of quick fire questions just about your career and, and um, your kind of experiences, and just get you can give us kind of a, a quick short answer to each one, if that's okay. Yeah, sure good right Um, what was your earliest memory in TV advertising Um, well
2: I'm a I'm a child of the 80s um so I I think that was a very rich period for TV So some of my memories some of my best memories still date back to some of the 80s ads to be honest so lots of you're, you're, lots you of definitely the,
1: don't don't look like you're a child of the 80s
2: <laughs> oh thank you very much lucky it's a podcast there they can all believe you um but yes I mean so, some of the um yeah some of the sort of Carling black label ads still still ring um loudly in my head and and I remember the Hamlet Hamlet ads as well, back back when you could advertise um tobacco on telly. I mean, yes, they they stand out. But probably my favourite ever TV ad um was Nike, Nike's first ever move into football, um their kick it campaign. I don't know if you remember that one, but um it sort of, it brought together a lot of a lot of my passions. The arsenal well. Ian Ian Wright and a tropical Quest, so yeah, it what's not to like unless 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 you support someone else. <laughs> <but>. <laughs>
1: I do, but I appreciated it anyway. But it was really the the kind of golden age of storytelling, wasn't it? it was some some really great ads from that period, and I could sit and watch them forever. But then perhaps I you know need to get out more. Um, cool. Uh, what was your first uh, job in either TV or advertising?
2: Um, so I my first job was actually Haymarket. Um, I I wanted to go into journalism, um, but realised that I came back from a year, year backpacking. I didn't have any money and it was quite hard to get into and didn't pay very well. So uh, I ended up working on the commercial um, <laughs> section of, of a magazine called Horticulture Week. Um, I had actually no interest in horticulture, um, but I found I was quite good at selling um, advertising to herbaceous perennial growers and people who sell tractors. So um, yeah, that's, that was my first <laughs> first move into into and it. it's still going strong now. It's a great magazine. I'm actually, I actually actually really like gardening now. Maybe it's because I'm 42. Um, so yeah,
1: probably it was it. Full circle, then. Brilliant. And and if you could go back to that time, um, knowing what you know now,
2: what would you say to yourself? Um, don't don't be afraid to to make a few leaps into different parts of the industry. I think um, I was reasonably brave and moved moved about a bit, um, and put myself outside of my comfort zone. But I think the more you do that in this industry, the the better, the more you learn. So. Yeah, I'd probably tell myself to do that. And also maybe buy lots of Bitcoin when it first comes out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think we'd all do
1: that, wouldn't we? Good. We've obviously talked today about um, the industry and we've, we've highlighted some of the challenges that are going on and some of the kind of evolution of the, of the space. But um, you know, for, for a lot of people in advertising and, and the advertising industry, it is uh, something that we we enjoy doing. It's, you know, it's a passion. Um, so what do you love about the industry? Um, and what do you love about what you do right now?
2: Um, Lots. I mean, lots of things. Uh, I, I, it sounds like a bit of a cliche, but I, I'm genuinely um, very charmed to work with such a smart and talented group of people, both both those above me and below me, and inside Channel Four and outside of Channel Four as well. And um, it it really doesn't cease to amaze me how resourceful and adaptable the, the teams are. I think our, our response to COVID and the way the industry's responded to COVID, um, you know, to not just not just adapt but also to thrive as is incredible, and I think specifically to Channel Four, I'm very proud to work for an organisation that is, is genuinely a force for good. I think it's quite it's quite nice to be able to say that out loud and, and actually mean it. So yeah, that that makes me happy every day.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's great. It's um it's been a challenging time, but it's great to see um, so many people and organisations really kind of step up and um and and you know, approach it in a really kind of positive way. So yeah, it's great to hear. Um. We talked earlier about uh, communication. We talked about how you talk to customers. Um, you now, the old, the, the kind of the, the test that people always say is kind of the granny test of can you explain to your, your granny? But uh, kind of to play on that a bit, um, if you were to try and explain uh, identity and the role of identity in advertising to a ten-year-old, how would you go about that? Uh, that's a tough question. I, I,
2: sadly, I think the ten-year-old could probably explain it better than me <laughs> in this day and age. <laughs> probably be more than that, possibly. Um, i would probably I'd probably say um, i'd probably say you are a very important person um, and lots of companies want to sell you stuff and sell stuff to people like you um, and in order for them to do that they need to make sure that you are actually who you, who who they think you are um, before they can talk to you and communicate on the, on the media you can consume and they can do that in two ways they can either guess who you are um, by looking at stuff they think they know about you, like you like chocolate or you like football, um, or they can, uh, they can make 100% sure that you actually are who you are uh, by knowing your name or email address. Um, which of those two do you think are better? And hopefully i will say in a second. <laughs>
1: Describing people that like chocolate and football, you just described me. <laughs> um, <laughs> cool. So um, two questions kind of roll into one. What keeps you awake at night?
2: Um, and what gets you motivated in the morning? Uh, what keeps me awake normally my one-year-old and if not my three-year-old keep me awake at night Um, they also get that's also the answer to the second question actually they get up in the morning as well um but I'm assuming you mean work related stuff um work yeah definitely work related um so I mean there's lots of work related stuff that sort of rattles through my head um at night when I'm trying to sleep Um, one of the main things is is how as a broadcaster we can deliver more proof points to advertisers uh, to, to show and to prove that TV and, and broadcast video is, is the most effective use of their money. Um, I mean, we're extremely confident that it is and lots of advertisers um, are also confident in that fact, but I think we've, we've got to be better at um, producing more evidence-based products. So, so that's, that's what there's a, there's a real focus for us on doing that at the moment. Um, and then the second question, what um, gets me up in the morning, um it, it's probably the just the breadth of work and different projects that that we're working on at the moment so we're working on you know monetizing our, our social channels now as well we're, we're evolving our programmatic business uh, testing private marketplace soon um and we're also looking to evolve our, our data products further so that breadth of work is is, is really quite exciting
1: yeah definitely um would like say some really interesting times ahead um for a whole bunch of reasons and it's a great time i think to be in our industry so um I'd probably share your motivation. Um, good. Two more questions for me. Final two questions. Um, if there was a song that was the soundtrack to your life, what would it be? <laughs>
2: uh, oh, God. No idea. Um, probably any anything by David Bowie. Space Oddity, I'd say. Or, or, uh, or maybe the, ga- the Gambler by Kenny Rogers. That's another
1: one. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. I right. would we'll go with those. They're on repeat on your playlist, I take it. <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah
1: too often <laughs> good um and obviously um this podcast is all about individuals who have um been involved with and pioneered new ways to kind of use data and and kind of deliver better consumer experiences um so when you look at people that you admire in the industry, is there anybody that you would nominate for an interview around um kind of identity architects and, and pioneers um, I, th-
2: I mean i think it'd be great to hear from a from a client um, I won't specify which client because they might they might get upset. But um, I, th- I think I think it'd be it'd be good to hear from a, an advertiser who had gone through this process, um, so they could talk about you know I suppose what the benefits of doing it are, what what the learnings and insight are as well. Because that's that's the other area that we found quite fascinating is um, the, the level of reporting that we're able to to offer advertisers through doing data matches is is actually hugely valuable for for sort of future campaign campaign planning as well. So I think getting a a brand on to to share their perspective on identity and um, and all the different solutions, but but also their perspective on how they're using their data would be quite interesting, I think.
1: Yeah, definitely. Good. Well, thank you, David. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak to us today. It's been really fascinating to hear your views uh, on the industry as it is today and and the, and the kind of changes that we're seeing great to hear channel four's kind of approach to that and, and the success that that you're generating that's that's brilliant to see and, and always fun to kind of hear uh um some of the quickfire answers and, and your kind of uh, journey through media so really appreciate you making the time really appreciate your honesty um and look forward to um hoping to speak to you again in the future thank you
2: thanks for having me on and thanks for yeah thanks for being Great, um, partners are making this journey a lot easier and smoother
0: than it otherwise could be. So, yeah, thanks for your time. Brilliant. Thanks, David. Thank you so much to David for joining us for our first ever Identity Architects podcast. If you'd like more information on Brand Match, the solution that David and Stu talked about, you can head over to forsales.com forward slash all four. And if you'd like to read some of the case studies that the guys mentioned, those can be found over at infosum.com under our case studies section. We've got a number of guests lined up for the coming months, but if you'd like to suggest a future guest, or if you'd like to suggest yourself, email us at podcasts at infosum.com. But that's it for this week. Remember to subscribe to know when the next episode lands, but until then, thank you for listening.